Hey, this is Robbie Baseball from the Dingers Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 169, TED Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with caveman Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Derek, how are you, and what is new in pop culture in your world? Hey, Chris, I am doing well, as per usual, and this week in pop culture, Mm -hmm. I had a chance to watch two, I'll call them obscure films, because I had not heard of either one of them. Oh, cool. And then, of course, I got to tell you about a documentary, which we'll get to. Mm. So the first one was recommended to me. It's a movie from 2007 called Fracture. It stars Anthony Hopkins and Ryan Gosling. You ever heard of it? I've never even heard of it. I I had never even heard of it. uh, I was having a conversation with my brother and I don't know how we got onto this. And he's like, oh, it's like that movie Fracture. I'm like. What are you talking about? Fracture. And so he's he's telling me a little bit about it. I thought that actually sounds really good. And he goes, yeah, it's probably on Netflix or something. So sure enough, I looked it up and I thought, well, it was earlier this week. One night I couldn't sleep. It was getting late. And I thought, well, I'll try. I'll see if that movie's on Netflix. Oh, there it is. I'm like, well, I'll watch the first 20 minutes and see where, how it goes. Well, the movie's two hours. I watched the whole movie. Um, the idea is that Anthony Hopkins is this rich, eccentric uh, billionaire kind of guy. He's in an unhappy marriage. And within the first five minutes of the movie, he kills his wife. And he basically has methodically planned this out in a way to do it and get away with it. And the whole thing is that he believes that he's just smarter than everybody else. And so as the police and the lawyers and all that start to get involved, they realize like this guy really knows what he's doing. Like they all believe he did it, but they're having such a hard time nailing him down, nailing it down. And it's this real sort of um, personality struggle as Ryan Gosling, the, the lawyer, this he's supposed to like leave the public defender's office and move on to a private job. But this is like his last case and he thinks it's a slam dunk. And then as he starts to get into it, he realizes like the Anthony Hopkins character really, really has some tricks up his sleeve. And it was really good. I really liked it. It's sort of like half courtroom drama, half investigation. But it's there's these a lot of these great scenes with these two strong actors, like having these verbal uh, uh, these verbal duels with each other. So yeah, it's it, it's like a little hidden gem. It's called Fracture. It's from 2007. Okay, and what was um, the other one that you watched? So the other one was more of just a fluke. Again, it was, this seems to happen to me more often. It's late at night. I can't fall mm-hmm. asleep. I flicking around the channels. Let's see what's on. And so I've got a whole bunch of different movie channels. And on one of the channels, there's this movie that says, coming up next, black or white. I'm like, Okay, that could be about anything. Mm-hmm. So I go on and it's like Black or White from 2014. It's starring Kevin Costner and Octavia Spencer. I'm like, what? well, hey, I like both of them. They've both got Oscars. Or yeah. They're both great performers. Let's see what this is all about. And again, I thought I'll give it 10 or 15 minutes. And if it's not winning me over, I'll just go to sleep. Again, I watched the whole movie. I couldn't believe by the time it was over. I'm like, wow, I just 
put back that two hour movie. Um, uh, this one at its heart is Kevin Costner plays a grandfather um, who um, is raising his granddaughter and the granddaughter is um, um, half white, half black. Like the daughter had had uh, had this child with the black guy and the the daughter had died during childbirth. So that's how the grandparents uh, are raising the, the granddaughter. And at the start of the movie, Kevin Costner's wife, the grandmother is killed like just before the movie starts. She's killed in a car crash. So it starts with him as the grandfather now being the sole person raising this granddaughter. And what ends up happening is Octavia Spencer is the grandmother on the other side of the family. And she steps in and says, like, I want custody of this child. I have as much right as her as her paternal grandmother as you do as the maternal grandfather. Um, and I'm going to take you to court. And again, it's this character study of the two grandparents and you get to see both of their lives and, and you get to meet the granddaughter. And they, they do a really good job of showing the ups and downs of both sides of this. And, and as a viewer, you sort of think to yourself, there's really not a bad choice here. Like these are both two uh, two good, viable options for this little girl. And uh, it was real again, it's it was this combination of some of it takes place in court for the custody stuff. But it's this interesting way with like, how do you handle grief and how do you handle there's a lot of uh, um, issues of, of not racism in, in like a bad issue, capital R, bad racism. It's just the differences between, you know, white and black. And you've got this girl who's from both worlds. And it's like, well, what's best for her? And it it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. And uh, the performances were great. Um, I mean, Kevin Costner, I think, is maybe a little past his prime, but, but he does a great job in this movie. So, yeah, it was really good. It's called Black or White. It's from 2014. So sort he of was, two hidden gems he, this week. He was past his prime way before 2014, I think. But I mean, Joe, not just me. Well, I mean, he, he occasionally uh, goes back to his, uh, you know, usually if Kevin Costner's in a sports movie, it's going to be worth watching. Like Draft Day? He wasn't great in that, but I liked the movie. It had a lot going for it. So anyway, that's a whole other conversation. And thirdly, I have a documentary. Oh, wait a minute. Did you say documentary? For 40 days and 40 nights, he watches documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. You still haven't provided me with your own drop that you keep saying. So I had to keep playing this one. Yeah. Well, we'll keep using that one for a little while until I get motivated. So as I mentioned on last week's show, I'm starting to, you know, (laughs) I'm starting to like it a little more every week. That makes me smile. I don't know if I should keep watching more documentaries (laughs) so I can hear it more often, or I should stop watching documentaries so I don't have to hear it anymore and I'll forget it. But anyway, it is what it is. Uh, So the documentary that I watched this week, it's part of a series. Uh, it, It surprisingly enough was on the documentary channel, which you know, I don't watch as much as you'd think I would. There's a uh, documentary channel. Where oh, is, yeah. is it streaming or is it like on regular TV? I have it on regular TV, but I'm sure they stream it. It's uh, called the Can- documentary channel. Documentary channel. In oh. Canada, it's a subsidiary of the CBC. So a lot of the stuff is is available um, for free through their CBC Gem app. Uh, this one, unfortunately, is not. I tried to find it. So it turns out it's a it's a show, a documentary series called Photos that changed the world. Uh, it came out last oh. year. It's only six episodes so far. I don't. I assume it was just one season, six episodes, or an hour each. And in each episode, they do two thirty-minute segments where they take a famous photograph and they they literally give you the history of like what was the circumstances, how how and why did this photograph happen, and then what were the repercussions? How did the world change after this photograph was published? 
So, like, the first episode is about... Can I, can uh, I try and guess? Yeah. And let me know if any of the my guesses were actually episodes. Right. So there's six episodes. So there's 12 photos. Mm-hmm. I, I've only got a chance to watch one episode. But, okay, oh, give me I your guesses. Well, give I, guesses. I, so when I've I, got the list of them here in front of me. So I, I know what they are. Okay. So when you mention photographs that change the world, I think of things like the, um, the Chinese man standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square. Yeah, episode two, yep. episode one, part two. Yep. The the photograph that was taken for National Geographic magazine with the native girl with the hijab and the the, the blue eyes. I don't see that on here, I don't but know. I know exactly the one you mean. The Buddhist monk who lit himself on fire to protest uh, the Vietnam there War. There is one about that. Uh, I saw that in here. I don't know. I know again. I know the one you're talking about. It's on the cover of the Rage Against the Machine album. I don't know if it's that exact photo, but there's a photo about that. The Vietnamese children running away from Agent Orange. That one. That's oh, the one. Man, that's oh, the one I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. So uh, those are some that just come to my mind because they, they those are kind of photographs that change the world, you know? So. Yeah. So, and again, the, the very first one in episode one uh, is cool. the man on the moon, the picture of. Oh, of yes. Great. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's that and Tank Man are the two ones from the first episode. Who took um, that picture or was it all a conspiracy? Oh, no, it was Buzz Aldrin. It was Buzz Aldrin. Come on. Buzz Aldrin. Okay. You yeah. got a camera. Because it's okay. a picture of Armstrong. So there's right. only one other guy there to take the picture unless it was on a timer. <laughs> yeah. This was before you had selfies. Could you imagine Armstrong and, and and Aldrin with the arm out doing the, the selfie on the moon? That would have mm-hmm. been awesome. Uh, anyway, the one I saw was the third episode. And the, the two segments, the first one was uh, the pictures of President Reagan being shot by Hinckley Jr. Oh, yes. Uh, it yeah. was these three. It was a sequence of three photos that are all mm-hmm. within fractions of a second apart. And you can just see the the how quickly the Secret Service reacted and the the fear on President Reagan's face mm-hmm. as it's happening. And, you know, me, I love politics. I love anything to do about the the U.S. presidents. Uh, and, and so this had uh, that element to it, which and it was quite good. Um, James Baker and then the, got shot in that. Oh. Yeah. Again, I, I knew a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. But they again, they, they interviewed the one of the guys who was there at the moment as the like the head of the secret service that was there and you see him in all the pictures and then obviously they they, uh, interviewed the photographer who actually won a pulitzer for it so um interestingly enough and then the other the other half of that episode the photo was the hooded man and this is one of the photos of the um iraqi prisoners that the u.s troops were torturing um and so it was this when the when the photos went public people freaked out because they're like we're America. We don't do this. And it's like, uh, sorry to tell you, some sometimes it happens and some yep. people are. And as a result, there was a lot of changes that came from this one photo. I mean, there was a, a series of photos that ended up being released. But this one, the hooded man of of the Ab- man. Abu Ghraib, I think is what it was. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah I remember And uh, again, I, I sort of a passing familiarity with it because I was a little bit younger when all of that happened. But it was it was again, this is why I love documentaries. You just learn about what's happening. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of this series. It's currently uh, on the documentary channel in Canada. There's six episodes and each one has two different photos in it. And um, so, yeah, I, I missed the first two episodes, uh, assuming they're going to do them in sequence. But I can't wait to watch the rest. So photos that change the world. Nice. OK, I have nothing to report. Uh, I've been too busy the last week. Um, it turns out, Derek, that getting a master's degree is a lot of work. Who knew? No, you're kidding <laughs> oh, me. So. I thought anyone could just get one. You yeah. just fill out a form and they mail it to you. Yeah, so I've been I've been pretty busy lately. But yo, you know one thing I haven't been too busy to do? Here's your dad joke of the week. 
So I was thinking about my dad joke this week, and I thought since we're doing a movie about a teddy bear that comes to life, that I would do a teddy bear dad joke, okay? And I'll keep it clean. Okay. Okay, Derek, why didn't the teddy bear eat dessert? I I don't know. He was already stuffed. Jeez. Right back right back to your roots, buddy. What do you know from funny? Williams, the adventure begins. I'm glad it's called The Adventure Begins. We're clearly going to get more adventures. It was an optimistically titled movie. It's <laughs> perfect if you are an 11-year-old boy. With a big old healthy dose of nostalgia. Oh, rescue me, male hero. I'm in danger. Oh, this is just like The Matrix, only shitty. I felt bad for all the people that were attached to this movie. I'm 50. And I sure hope I don't look anything like Wilford Brimley in Cocoon. Oh my god, I got 90 more minutes of this. <laughs> I really hope I don't look anything like Wilford Brimley in Cocoon. <laughs> I got news for you. You look way worse than Wilford. No, I'm just kidding. Jeez, man. COVID's been mean to everybody. <laughs> oh man, but, but you no, know what? No. Cat couldn't scratch it. Okay, that's a line from that Jeez. movie. Um, yes. Okay, Derek, it was over to yes. you this week. Yes. Your turn to choose a movie. And you went with Ted from 2012. It's written and directed by Seth MacFarlane, starring Myla Kunis, Seth MacFarlane, and Mark Wahlberg as John Bennett, a man whose childhood wish of bringing his teddy bear to life comes true. And then he has to decide between keeping the relationship with the bear or his girlfriend. So Derek, you could have picked just about any movie that you wanted for this week, and you went with this one. So maybe you can start us off by just explaining why you felt it was important that we review Ted this week on the podcast. All right. Well, I I, I think why it's important is probably a little bit too strong a term. It, it's, <laughs> for, yeah. So as, as often happens on this show, when it's time for Chris to choose a movie, he chooses something from 1989 or earlier. And it's usually a safe bet. It's between like 75 and 89. So I feel yeah. it's my obligation as, as the opening credits of our show says to educate you on – on some of the newer mm-hmm. movies that are out there. That's the and premise not, of the they're not all good. Yeah, they're not all going to be gold. Mm-hmm. And the one, there are going to be a lot of ones that are gold that you're not going to like for whatever reason. And, and hey, that's on you. But I mean, I, I want to at least give you that opportunity to judge for yourself whether or not some of the newer films are d- decent uh, in your eyes or not. And I felt that we do a lot of action movies from my again when i'm picking it tends to be a lot of action a lot of sci-fi because those are things i like I dystopian future films of course i of mean course. hey i could i could do a show on nothing but those but sure. i know that they're not your absolute favorite so i i felt that from time to time i've got to try and find something a little lighter i got to try and find a comedy uh just to lighten it up because the 80s had so many great comedies that even looking back despite some of the troubles with political correctness and gender roles and and things that at the time they were making fun of that they really should never have been making fun of there's still a lot of really great comedies from that time period uh, that hold up to today i don't know that there are nearly as many in the last 10 or 15 years and i i I think there's a lot of reasons for that and we'll probably talk about it as we go through this but i find that Every now and then you get a comedy and generally it's this the R-rated comedy where, you know, you you can really not have to censor yourself as much that tend to break through a little bit more and tend to 
to be a little more memorable. Um, we, I think we've talked about The Hangover a few times, how that was sort of like a turning point for the R-rated comedy in the 2000s. Um, and it spawned you know, two sequels, so there was obviously some success there. Ted is another one that I felt was, um, it came out in 2012. We hadn't had a really good R-rated comedy in a while other than those Hangover films. And I think by then we were already on the second or third one, so the, the gimmick was starting to get a little old. And Seth MacFarlane, obviously, is best known for as the the writer and creator of Family Guy. He's also done American Dad. And he's branched out into films himself. Some have been just okay. Some have been pretty good. Some have been terrible. Um, this is one that I, I thought, especially when it came out, I really enjoyed it. As, as it's gotten a little bit older and I've watched it a few more times, I will admit that I found that it doesn't hold as strong a place in my heart as it once did. I actually think Ted two is far superior to Ted one uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, and I, I actually found when I went back and watched it this week, I really didn't like this as much as I remembered liking it. I mean, I still thought there was a lot of great parts, but with a lot of stuff with comedy, it's like, if you've heard a joke 10 times before the 11th time, it probably not going to seem as funny to you anymore. Like a big part of comedy is the unexpected of it and the timing of it. Well, if you know the punchline and you know what's going to happen, comedy can get get worn down a bit. And I think that when I rewatched this this week, that was sort of the feeling I got was I've seen this one enough times that a lot of it is not falling as as funny as I was hoping it would. So I'm kind of hoping that since this was your first time through, you found enough in it that you liked that you felt overall that you you enjoyed the, your your time with this movie. But we'll see. We'll see what you think. So <laughs> Well, <clears throat> I would say it, it was OK. You know, like I actually, I, I laughed uh, quite a bit at this movie. Um, needless to say, this movie obviously asks you to suspend your disbelief a little oh, bit. Oh, of course. But the funny thing is, is that the fact that a teddy bear coming to life, you know, you would think that would be the biggest thing in the movie that you have to suspend your disbelief for. But it's actually not. Because first of all, they're asking you to believe that Mark Wahlberg is a loser. And, and that's a bit of a tall order because he's this like super buff, good looking guy. And I think at one point his girlfriend even mentions that he's a loser, but at least he's the hottest guy in Boston. And I mean, he's he's not Matt Damon hot. Matt Damon. Although he did remind me of Matt Damon throughout this movie. Him using that Boston accent. I just kept thinking of Matt Damon. But um, the thing is, he's a little bit too good looking to be playing a schlub, you know? And and then the other thing is, is that you have to believe that this guy would rather hang out with a teddy bear rather than basically the most amazing woman on the planet. And and then and that if that isn't all enough, then you have to believe that a teddy bear is alive and talks, you know? So, so uh, but at least it's a totally raunchy bear that like smokes bongs and, you know, talks like a trucker. Yeah, tells the, dirty jokes. Yeah. yeah. So the thing that I want to talk about first is this notion of raunchy comedies today. Okay. Because you mentioned, you know, this one, and I think of things like Superbad yeah. and 40-Year-Old 40 40 Virgin. Virgin. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, there, there's this propensity for millennial films to kind of take the middle road and kind of go PG, just so they can get more bums in the seats and make more yeah, money. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's all about box office. Yeah, but these ones, these are the ones that stand out. And they tend to get sequels, too. So, you know, they do make their own money. But I want to compare raunchy comedies of today with raunchy comedies of the 80s. I think it's a little conversation worth having. Okay. 
And the thing that stood out to me watching this was that the raunchy comedies of the, you know, last 10, 15 years, especially this movie I found, just reference the raunchy comedies of the 80s. And I'm yeah. thinking you, 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 what is it? How does that saying go? I'm standing on the shoulder of giants. Yeah. This, this definitely is, is built on the success and the nostalgia factor of what has come before it. I mean, that's family guy to a T like Seth MacFarlane's all about tapping into that nostalgia. And this movie it relies on that so heavily. There's so much reference to, you know, the eighties and early nineties, mm-hmm. um, that, that, the demographic that that should find this movie hilarious is is me. It's someone who's in their mid forties now who would have been in my late teens uh, in the eighties. Uh, so I mean, I think you're sort of falling just on the on the cusp of that. But yeah, to your point, I know I know how much you love that you know nostalgia from seventies, eighties, early nineties. Maybe not so much early nineties, but uh, that was one of the reasons I wanted to recommend this because I knew it had things like Sam Jones is in this, which I thought you would appreciate. And we can talk about that a little more. And there was a lot of jokes and references to to things that you know, like you said, were from the previous batch of comedies from the eighties. Like you mentioned your age and how old you were in the eighties. At least you weren't Wilfred Brimley from Cocoon old. So like me, um, the thing is those raunchy comedies of the eighties, like they were really, really good. Like you, like you mentioned, you know, and I find that a lot of these newer comedies, they're almost like desperately trying to recapture, I don't know, the comedy from those old movies. But the, for me, the old movies had great writing. They had great casting. They had funny, like really funny scripts, memorable quotes, and they were almost always R rated. But, um, uh, I find that a lot of these newer ones, they just miss the mark. I don't know. When we think about things like that hot tub time machine, you had me watch stuff like that. Well, that's, and that's another one that obviously taps into nostalgia, right? So, I mean, I don't think it did it as well or, well, I know you didn't think it did it as well, but yeah. So, uh, but I mean, one of the things that I really liked about, about this movie that Mm -hmm. it sounds like sort of that you hit on as well is I didn't necessarily love it as a start to finish, um, you know, coherent story. There was certainly, there is a story and there is like that, that, you know, that the timeline of what happens. It's very, yeah, that's probably, that's sort of more of the word where I'm going with the formula, but I find that with this one, and this to me is more indicative of the kind of creativity that Seth MacFarlane produces is, is it's a lot of little funny segments. It's a lot of little funny bits. It's almost as if like, like with Monty Python, they're a comedy troupe and they made whole movies where it's just, here's a little sketch. Here's a little sketch. Here's a little sketch. And that to me is almost how this works. It's like you've got all these little sketches featuring the same characters. So you can tie it into this one long movie. But some of the sketches are just super funny, very memorable, quotable, um, you know, and and it's those little bits that I find bring me back to this movie over and over again. And there's just so many of them. And some of them are very, very subtle and very quick. But then some of the other ones are, are you know, a little more complex you know, start to finish. I don't necessarily think it's it's the greatest story, but I think as an opportunity to showcase some of these these funny segments, it works really well in a lot of places. And and the movie does reference a lot of Gen X stuff, like you mentioned. Like the movie opens up at Christmas time, and the kids have Cabbage Patch Kids, mm-hmm. and and I love the one kid. He gets the Darth Vader head that opens up, the, the one that you could put your Star Wars figures inside. Yep. But yep. the thing is, <clears throat> first of all. <clears throat> The kid gets it for Christmas and then he unwraps it and it's already got all the figures inside of it. Oh, wow. Like, they were sold on, separately. Man. 
I mean, don't no, worry about it. No parent's going to take him out of the, the packaging and put him in a case. By the way, the packaging on those Star Wars figures, they were almost as good as the figures themselves. Yeah. I just, oh, I love them. You could look on the back and you could see all the other figures. That were like, uh, the photo and the logo on the front. It was so cool. But anyway, I want to mention, I had the, that Darth Vader storage case. Oh, so did I. Oh, it was so good. It had the, had the, the, the little, um, it had a little door. And you could put like all the accessories in there, like the guns and like Yoda's cane and oh, yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's so cool. Um, and then you had these little stickers that you would put on with, you know, which ones went where. Yep. Um, so the the opening scene, like I say, the, the kid wakes up on Christmas morning. And maybe it was just me. I noticed this. He had Challenger bed sheets, the Challenger uh, mm-hmm. space shuttle. And the movie takes place in 1985. Which is a little bit grim, you know, considering that the Challenger explodes in January of two, of ninety or eighty six. Um, I mean, it's an offensive comedy, you know, and and like most offensive comedies, it tries to use shock value. It was very subtle, but I saw it and I was like, oh my goodness, you know, you know where this movie's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think audiences back in Gen X didn't always get offended by things that they saw in movies. You know, I agree, but. What about the millennial generation? Do you think the, the millennial generation gets more easily offended by offensive humor? Because um, I, I think the overall impression is that they that they do. I don't know if that's the case. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's as simple as a yes, no answer. I do think the, the answer is at its heart, yes. But I think it's because we are, I'd like to think, we are more aware of of the downside to making fun of various disenfranchised groups, I think. And we Mm. keep going back to Revenge of the Nerds because that's the easiest one to show how to not do it. They make fun of a guy because he's gay. They make fun of a guy because he's Asian. Like, that was the joke. That was the substance of what was presented as being funny. And I'd like to think that we've, you know, we're a little more self-aware now and we realize, like, that's not something to to laugh at. That's not a reason to to single someone out and make that the point of humor. That's not to say that gay people can't be funny and Asians can't be funny because I know some hilarious Asians. Look at Kim's Convenience. And I got a few friends that are gay that can tell the best jokes in the world. So and you, know, you know what's that, even better? Even gay Asians. Oh, my. So you and got there's that. a perfect example. Yeah. Exactly. So Love I, I think I don't think it's that. So when people say, oh, well, people today are offended more easily and they make it sound like there's something wrong with the people of today. Like it's, oh, well, you know, you're just so sensitive. And it's like, well, they are more sensitive, but they're more sensitive because they should have always been more sensitive. And, mm-hmm. the you know, the the people at the top of the pyramid, maybe there aren't as many old white guys anymore. It's becoming, you know, a little more uh, open to people of other genders, to people of other colors, to people of other ethnicities and beliefs and all the rest of that. And, and that's hopefully changing things for the better that you're not having a situation. Like, could you imagine if a comedy came out today where they're like, this is funny because this person looks different than you. Let's point out their differences and laugh at them for it. Well, unless that difference is a funny hat. And I mean like a literal hat, not like a religious headgear. Like that's not cool. You can't do that. And so, yeah, I think, I think people would absolutely be more offended by it and they should be. Oh yeah, some of the jokes in Revenge of the Nerds, it's like, yeah, you had a date, but that was with a guy, you know, and stuff. Like, they just wouldn't fly, I agree. Um, This movie was actually nominated for an Oscar. 
I'm sure you know. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. For best original song. Walter Murphy did the music. Seth MacFarlane did the lyrics for the song. Everybody needs a best friend. Mm-hmm. Just, Seth MacFarlane is, is he's one of these guys there. I think a lot of people it's like love him or hate him. There doesn't seem to be a lot mm-hmm. of middle ground. Personally, I'm a big fan of his work. He's and charismatic. He's likable. He is yeah. exceptionally charismatic. Mm-hmm. And he has a tremendous singing voice and a tremendous talent for music. And I mean, if you just watch family guy and American dad, there are tons of musical numbers that he has his hands all over. Uh, I mean, and then in Ted and Ted two, he's got uh, credits for uh, the song compositions and he's got a good singing voice. And I think that, uh, and I think he's even got like a couple of albums out now where he does like, um, uh, not, not like pop music, but he does like, like sort of crooner style music. Uh, which is not really my bag, but hey, if that's what he likes, then go for it. So, yeah, it didn't surprise. It, it surprised me that it was nominated for an Oscar, and then when I saw it was for music, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and he didn't win because it was up against Skyfall, you know, with Adele. You're not gonna beat that. But anyway, this movie was made for fifty million dollars, and it grossed two hundred eighteen million domestically, five hundred fifty million worldwide. Um, when you look at that's why the, I got a sequel. Yeah. I mean, you look at the uh, some of the other movies that came out that year. I mean, the Avengers was number one and the Dark Knight Rises and Hunger Games and then Skyfall, which I just mentioned. Uh, but Ted finished number nine at the box office that it's year. Pretty respectable. You know, not bad. You know, um, the I was looking at the, the 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 box office from that year. And I just wanted to point out the worst grossing film of oh 2012 was a movie called Metal Messiah. It was you say a, so. It was a musical comedy that grossed the grand total of $100 at Jeez. the box office. It made up for it internationally, though, because it grossed $3,476 worldwide. Jeez, oh it probably God. cost them that much to ship the prints overseas. <laughs> I tell you. I, mean, I, th- I thought that was funny. Um, so the, the mom at the beginning of this movie is played by Alex Borstein. And she does the voice of the mom on Family Guy. And Myla Kunis obviously does a voice on that show as well. So Seth MacFarlane obviously likes working with, you know, some of the same people, you know, so he brought them into this project. Patrick Warburton, who we all know as Putty from Seinfeld, Mm -hmm. he's in this and he's one of the regulars on Family Guy as well. And I think it's like any other uh, successful uh, performer. If they have an opportunity to to help the people that, that they know and they like, why not? Like look at someone like Adam Sandler. Love him or hate him, whether you think he's talented or not, uh, he obviously has made a lot of very financially successful films. And he's got a handful of his buddies who mm-hmm. honestly are terrible actors, but are clearly his friends that he casts in every one of his movies. And you know what? If I was in that position, I would cast all my friends, too. So I don't fault a, a, a performer for for wanting to put their friends in their movie. Oh, sure. um, in an industry, too, where a lot of people are just jerks to work with. Yeah. You find people that you like working with. And you have a good time with them and you're kind of creative together, bring them on board. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. One thing I really liked about uh, this movie was the backstory of the bear. It, they, they go through it quickly at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. How he becomes famous and he goes on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And then there's this funny line that the, the, the narrator I was going to ask out there. Yeah, it's, yeah. It was Patrick Stewart, right? The, yeah. The oh, yeah. yeah. Who is also, he does the voice on American Dad. So, I mean, he right. and Seth MacFarlane obviously have a relationship Again. as well. I, I love his line when he says, no matter who you are and how famous you become, eventually no one gives a about you. 
I just I laughed because I'm like, it's so true. You know, yeah. like, I don't know if that was Seth MacFarlane kind of just purging some demons there or whatever, but and then the time elapses. And well, hang on, let me stop you for a second. Yeah. When he goes on the Tonight Show, did you recognize that clip? You, I want to say it was, was that Webster. It was when Drew Barrymore went on the show. Oh yeah, because I knew it was somebody really small. It would have been a kid. Yeah. Because you know, I, I saw, yeah, I saw a thing on YouTube after this movie came out where they had like the side by side. Here's what this clip really had. And then they, they digitally altered it to have the teddy bear in there. But, and it was the same line where he's like, I thought you'd be taller. And and she said, I thought you'd be funnier. So they, they use the exact <laughs> right. same joke. They just changed it. So, but it works. I mean, it worked. And again, how many people from today seeing this movie are going to know that? Not oh, no, very no, many. I remember. And, you know, I mean, that would have been 81, 82 when she yeah, went on there after E.T. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I liked in this movie when, uh, when the, they, they show them that they're, they're like getting high and watching Flash Gordon. <clears throat> so again, there's references to Gen X that I relate to. So Flash Gordon holds a very special, you know, place in my heart. I, I, I loved that movie, even though it was like crappy and cheesy and corny. In the, the winter of 1980, when that movie came out, me and my buddy went around the neighborhood and shoveled snow out of people's driveways to raise oh, enough yeah, money. Oh, yeah, I remember you were telling us this, yeah. To go see this movie again and again and again. And my buddy that I did that with was, uh, he went on to, to be in the NHL, of all things, because we're Canadian, nice. we all know each other. Nice. Um, but another thing I mentioned, uh, or I liked in this, was the uh, the scene with the job interview. <laughs> the, dead, the dead bear goes to get a job, and he doesn't want to get a job. Because he just wants to sit around all day and get high and watch Flash Gordon, yeah. right? Yeah. And so he says these like really rude things about the boss's wife. And I mean like really rude yes. stuff. Yeah. And of course, he gets the job. And I think at one point he talked about like a parsnip or something, if I remember correctly. I don't know. That part made me laugh. I don't know. And then the other thing that I really laughed at was looping back to Flash Gordon when they go to the party and, and Sam Jones is there and sure enough, it's Sam Jones. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because Sam Jones, I don't think he's really worked, you know, <laughs> since then, you know, since, uh, since he did um, uh, Flash Gordon, I don't think he's worked. Has he? Well, I, and I think this is one of those instances where they cast him in the movie and he got a resurgence and he's been like, as far as I understand it, he's been like doing conventions and stuff because now people remember who he was. People who see this movie and go, oh, my God. And they go back and they either look at the old Flash Gordon movie. It's like that thing where, uh, yeah, it was it was crappy and it's, you know, it's campy, but mm -hmm. it's like enough time has passed that you can look at it and go, yeah, that, that's that's old and nostalgic. And I like it for that reason. And And suddenly this performer who, like you said, isn't really working anymore has an opportunity to go to conventions and charge a hundred bucks to get your picture taken with them or get a photo with them. And in the sequel in Ted two, he's in that movie as well. And they actually go to a convention where he is there as flash Gordon signing pictures. So I think that's a little wink, wink right. to the success that he ended up getting out of being in this movie. And the thing is, not only was that one of his really only movies that he did, um, he didn't even really do that movie. You think about it. Like when they went back to loop, that film, they redubbed all of his dialogue. So when you watch Flash Gordon, that's not Sam Jones talking. Right. They had another right. actor, you know, do it all. But uh, I, love, thing, I love, 
Yep. Sorry, I was going to say about that. I love there's this line from the movie. I had to look it up. I found it here where they're talking about Flash Gordon. And he's like, Flash Gordon was the most important figure in our formative years. He taught us right from wrong, good from evil. And that acting apparently has an extremely broad definition. <laughs> exactly. Because Sam Jones was I think Sam Jones himself was a football player. Yeah, I believe so. Well, he wasn't an actor. Yeah. And it clearly showed um, the scene where they fight each other. I really laughed at that. Yeah, I was <laughs> the, laughing. Oh yeah. My God. Like, <laughs> one of the things I like about that kind of humor is just when it keeps going and going and going and going. Like, I just, it makes me laugh more and more. It reminded me of two of the maybe funniest scenes that I've ever seen anywhere. And they both involve these long fight scenes, of all things. I know that sounds crazy. Okay. So, there was uh, an episode called Cripple Fight. From Sorry, season what are we talking about? Of South Family Park. Oh, South, South Park season oh, five. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was called Cripple Fight. And it was this long fight between these two kids, Jimmy and Timmy. And oh my God, it was just... And the thing that made me laugh was it just kept going and going and going. And so that made me laugh. And the other one is the nude wrestling scene in Borat. Oh, yeah, geez. It just kept going on. And I think you're like, okay, it's going to end now. And the next thing you know, it breaks into the conference hall downstairs. It just keeps going. So that's what I liked about this scene. Like that when he's fighting the teddy bear, it just keeps going on and on. And you're like, when's this going to be over? Okay, this is yeah. enough. You know, it's like it's like that scene too when the um, when the marionette is is barfing in the alley in, um, in Team America. World, please. yes, it just keeps going and going, going. and you're going, like, oh my going. god, when's this gonna yeah. end? So it's just, I don't know, it, that reminded me of all that. So nice, thought it was pretty, yeah, funny. no, and, and I mean, that's that's a running gag in Family Guy with uh, uh, Peter Griffin and the chicken. They have the, the long, extended, long fight sequences that have happened a dozen times over the years where it's the chicken fight, and it's exactly like you said, it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And that's that's half the joke is that it just keeps when it happens, it's unexpected. It's this long, drawn out fight for no reason. And then when the fight ends, they just pick things back up where they were before the fight started. And that's that's sort of how they always end it. And it's like which makes it even funnier because it's as if nothing happened. I, I also like the part when he gets on stage and he sings the theme from Octopussy all time. Yes. high. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. He does it. You know, he sings really poorly. Um, and then I, I have a question for you. So sure. in that scene, what was the deal with the bear and the singer? I, I think it was Nora Jones. It was Nora Jones, yeah. I, I'm not really sure who she is or any of her songs or anything, but I, I got the impression that it's kind of significant in some way that, that, that this bear had an affair with her because I'm assuming that she might be like the last person on earth you'd ever expect this to happen with or like who who is she i don't know anything about her I'm, i mean I'm, i know i know she's a singer i don't know much about her um and um i think i think it, uh, to your point that that might be part of the the underlying joke of it not knowing much about her it, it was lost to me too because again she's she's obviously uh you know younger uh, actually i'm just looking her up she's not that much younger than me actually but um but i think i think the idea is it just reminds you that Ted was a minor celebrity for for a while and they sort of lean on that crutch a few times in the movie when they're like, OK, we need to establish something that otherwise really could never happen. And they just sort of lean on that idea that, well, you know, he used to kind of be famous. So that's how he has this contact with this person or that's why someone allows him to do something that, you know, you wouldn't normally be able to do. And 
I love the fact in this movie that um, the fact that he's a teddy bear doesn't really seem to freak people out or, or cause any real problems. Like he, a lot of times he just walks down the street and like people look at him and it's like, Oh, walking teddy bear. Like yeah, they don't no freak out deal. anymore. So, yeah. Um, lots of Gen X references. Like you mentioned, there was one mm. where Raiders of the Lost Ark came into it that the bear reaches like back in the door for his hat. I think it was. Uh, yeah. And then Tiffany for his ear when his ear came. Oh, his off. ear came off. Was? That was it. Yeah. And yeah. then when Tiffany is singing, I think we're alone now. You know, again, uh, another lost, you know, Gen X thing. Um, th- there was a subplot with, what was the actor's name? Was it Giovanni Ribisi? Giovanni Ribisi? Yeah. yeah. So there's that whole subplot going on. And another thing that I thought was kind of funny, again, it's just a shock value. When he punches the kid in the face, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. The kid's like, I don't know, 10 years old and he just punches him in the face. And again, it's just all about that shock value. But I have a question. Mark Wahlberg, has he ever done any comedies other than this? Other than like this and Ted too? Like it's oh yeah yeah he's done he's he yeah there's there's um what's that one he's doing I think it's called Daddy's Home or Daddy's Back or something there's there's a couple of them now two or three of them at least where um where he's like the stepdad Daddy's Home yeah here it is Daddy's Home and Daddy's Home Two um which apparently did very well he stars with Will Ferrell. And I, I haven't seen them, but uh, I he heard that. He did a did video well. on YouTube that I saw with Will Ferrell where the two of them had a showdown where they had to crack each other up by telling dad jokes right up my alley, too, by the way. Yeah, Eric, I think obviously. I think that was that spawned from from mm. that. Yeah. Oh, that would make I'm just looking through his IMDb. Oh. I mean, he seems he seems to be mostly an action star. And I mean, hey, Mark Wahlberg's been nominated for an Oscar like he, he can act. But at the same time, it's, you know, how, how's this comedy? Well, you know, it's hit or miss. Uh, I, I always find the key to a good comedy is just surround the, the star with funny people. That usually helps a lot. What was he nominated for for an Oscar? Was it like that Brothers movie uh, the de- I think he was nominated for The Departed. Oh. And I want to say, oh, wow, he's nominated twice. Yeah, I think it was. Was he nominated for Boogie Nights? The Departed. No, uh, The Fighter and The Departed. Oh, oh The okay. Fighter, that's the one. That's the one that um, Christian Bale won. The fighter uh, for supporting actor. Oh, yeah. Mark Wahlberg right, right, was right, nominated right. for uh, for lead actor, and right. then for The Departed, which also has Matt Damon. <laughs> um, Matt Damon. There you <laughs> Your go, boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's the one. Mark Wahlberg got nominated for supporting in that one too. So. And um, the other thing I want to mention before we kind of try and rate this and move on is I another joke I really liked was at the very end when they do the Brandon Routh joke. <laughs> That was pretty yeah. funny. That was pretty, it was like Sam Jones. They tied in, you know, I don't know. I thought that was really good. So. Yeah. The, uh, so let me ask you then the, um, so I've, I mentioned that this movie has a lot of like funny bits. W- what were like your, your one or two sort of like best funniest bits that you thought like, that's something that if the YouTube clip was sent to me, I would watch that part again kind of thing. Well, I think like I mentioned the fight, the fight scene was pretty funny. True. Um, True. And almost anything with sam jones also remember when they went to that party and then he was doing the thing with the knife 
And he was like, do that <laughs> yeah. knife trick. And then he accidentally yeah. like stabs the guy. He doesn't just like barely cut him. He like jabs it into his stabs him. <laughs> And again, that's that's a, a subtle call out to aliens, right? Where the where they did that. Right. Right. In aliens. So again, it's I mean, I'm sure it's been used in other things, but I got to think that was in, the intention was that you believe that's where they got the idea. And like um, I said, that that scene when he when he punches the kid, but you have to see it within the context of the film. Sure. On its sure. own, it would be like, oh, my God, that's horrible. But yeah, just yeah, yeah. in the context of the film, because, I mean, like the kid's bad and stuff. But even still, it's just that shock value that he does it. But, uh, yeah. yeah, there was for a couple me, things that made me laugh. I, thought we're I was going to say, for me, one of the, the ones that, that just I I'm always find hilarious is the scene where Mark Wahlberg's rhyming off the girl's names. Where he's like, I met a girl, real white trash name. And then he's like, oh, is it this? No. How about this? No. And he's right. like, okay, I'm going to do the speed round. When I hit it, he's like, okay. And then he starts rhyming off all the names. He's like, nope, no, uh-uh, nope, nope. And then he's like, and then he finally stops. He goes, is one of those names with a Lynn at the end? Yes. And then it's like <laughs> the third one he says. <laughs> Again, I, that reminded me of Matt Damon. Matt Damon. It, it reminded me of so much because he had that Boston accent. And then there was a scene in Goodwill Hunting where uh, Matt Damon's rhyming off all these names of his brothers and sisters. And it oh, reminded yeah, me of that. Yeah. So again, I just, I thought, I don't know, it just, it came to mind. Um, but no, overall, I thought it was pretty good. Well, I laughed. Okay. You know, I don't know if I'd watch it again. Um, but I, maybe well, I would check out the sequel. You're saying it's better, right? I, I personally, I thought the sequel was better. And I hmm. actually, what I thought about after this week was when we watched it this week, I just called it up on Netflix or Amazon, whatever service had it. But I also own the DVD and the DVD has the uh, the extended unrated director's cut, which has like an extra five or 10 minutes in it. And a lot of the stuff where I remembered certain funny little bits being inserted, like with with jokes that I thought were really funny. When I rewatched it this week, I thought, I don't remember seeing that. And it occurred to me, I think some of the things that in my mind I really liked about this movie are on the cutting room floor and I oh. only know them from the unrated director's cut special version, which is, you know, a lot of times the director's cut, there's a reason they cut that stuff out. But I think for sometimes like 40 year old versions, the same way on the DVD, it's like 12 minutes of, ex of additional cut footage. Most of that cut footage is gold and they just cut it for time. So I think with this one, that's, that's maybe why I didn't same find thing. it as great. Uh, but yeah, th there was a sequel a few years later. I personally felt that the sequel was was better than this one. Uh, again, it's like any of these superhero movies, right? The first one is the origin story and they tell you how it came to be and they have to like set all the players up. Then when you get a sequel, they can just jump right into it. You already know who all these people are. And I found with Ted 2, it was very much that mm -hmm. same thing. We already know about the, the relationship between Mark Wahlberg and the teddy bear. Go. And now you can just jump right into the new story. So. Yeah, they've already established that world. Yeah, and now you can just play in it, you know, exactly, run around in there. And exactly. Play in it. Yeah. And, and by the time Ted 2 came out, the first one had been out and had been, as you mentioned, like it made a lot of money. So there's a lot of good guest stars and cameos. I think, I mean, I think Seth MacFarlane probably has a fair amount of clout in Hollywood anyway, just given his, his yeah. history of Family Guy and how successful that's been. But I think after the first Ted movie came out, he probably was able to flex his muscles a little bit and say like, we want these people to be in the movie. Not for huge parts of it, but to make this joke work, this person needs to be in this movie and have this kind of a performance and this kind of a role. And I think that's partly why I like the second one so much is there's a lot of unexpected cameos that are really, the cameo is what makes it funny. If it was any other actor, it wouldn't seem as funny. And you mentioned, you know, Seth MacFarlane and his, his clout in Hollywood. You know, we, we also talked about uh, how this movie was nominated for an Oscar for best song. 
the so when it was nominated, you know, the Oscars are always like February, March of, you know, the next year. So this had been 2013. He hosted them at that time. Well, that's that was right. when he hosted. So he was hosting the, the Oscars when his song was nominated. Wouldn't that have been something if he would have pretty won? cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. I, I know a lot of people gave him a lot of crap and didn't think he did a good job, but I thought he did a pretty good job. I thought he did a Oscars. good job. Again, I'm a fan and I think yeah. time will time will tell that I wouldn't be surprised if down the road, if the Oscars end up going back to the way they used to be with actual, you know, live performances and people in a theater. I wouldn't be surprised five years from now. He's one of those guys they put on the short list to come back again. But that's just my so, thought. So he took a lot of flack. Yeah. Did he? Well, he did, that, he did that musical bit about the all the all the women that were nominated where he did the song. We've seen your boobs. And he like rhymed through all of the women that were nominated and that they had all been in movies where they had shown their breasts before. Um, and, and apparently that didn't go over so well. And he's like, come on, if you've never watched an episode of Family, of course, I was going to do a song about boobs. What did you expect me to do? So I, I thought he was I thought he get, you know did good jokes. So he could sing. He could dance. I, I thought he was pretty good. So, I agree. Uh, you want to give me a rating on this movie out of 10? please? Yeah, I would think I think this one I'm going to give a seven out of 10. And again, depending on the day of the week, I might drop it to a six point five or I might bring it up to a seven point five. I think if I'm watching the extended director's cut, I'd probably go up to a seven point five. But based on my experience this week, I'm going to hold it at a seven. Uh, me and you are in agreement. I would give it a seven. I might go down to a six and a half. So I think we're both, uh, you know, in line with that. So okay. well, yeah, I'm, I'm I enjoyed glad, it. Glad, uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you found enough in it to to feel that you enjoyed it. Um, I chuckled. I laughed. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and again, this podcast helps expose me to movies I've never seen before. You know, mm-hmm. So so I kind of liked it. So uh, anyway, um, what do you say on that note? We have some fun with Caveman. Okay, so this week we did a uh, movie that had a name in the title. So I'm going to stay true to the theme. And what I'm going to do is we're going to have some trivia on movies that have a name in the title. Pretty okay. straightforward. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis. You just name the film. All right. Okay. We've done this many times before. Okay. But just keep in mind that the common thread is all these films have a name in the title. So you okay. should be able to get them all. All right. So yep. are you ready to start? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. 1996. When a sports agent has a moral epiphany and is fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent. Show me the money, Jerry Maguire. Yes, congratulations. Okay, 1994. Mathilda, a 12-year-old girl, is reluctantly taken in by a professional assassin after her family is murdered. An unusual relationship forms as she becomes his protege and learns the assassin's trade. We've done this one on the podcast. This was Leon, the professional. We have. Very good. Okay. 2007. Faced with an unplanned pregnancy, an offbeat young woman makes an unusual decision regarding the unborn child. Oh, was this, uh, was this Juno? It was Juno. Very good. Okay. 1993. An uncanny presidential lookalike is recruited by the Secret Service to become a momentary stand-in for the President of the United States. I love this movie. It was Dave. 
Yes, it was Dave. Okay, nineteen. Have you seen? Have you seen Dave? I have not seen Dave. Okay, I'm writing that down. We're going to do that one in the not too distant okay. future. It was That's really good. Kevin Klein, right? It was Kevin. I heard Klein. it was good. Okay, it's really good. Going back to 1976, my friend. A shy, friendless teenage girl who is sheltered by her domineering religious mother unleashes her telekinetic powers after being humiliated by her classmates at her senior prom. Oh, was that, um, that was the Stephen King one, right? It was the one where the girl gets covered in the blood. It was, um, I've never seen it. It was Carrie. All right. I didn't know if you would get that one. Yes. No, I'd really to stretch on that one. I'm not a big, not a big fan of horror movies, but, uh, that one's been pretty, that was pretty popular. Okay. 1995. In order to inherit his fed-up father's hotel empire, an immature and lazy man must repeat grades 1 to 12 all over again. Nice. Yeah, we already talked about him. This was Adam Sandler and Billy Madison. 1977. Neurotic New York comedian Alvy Singer falls in love with a ditzy woman. Uh, wasn't that, um, oh, Woody Allen. That was, uh, was it Annie Hall? Yes, it was. Remember, name in the title, right? Yeah, it okay. took me a second. I can, 1990, I yeah. the comic strip detective finds his life vastly complicated when Breathless Mahoney makes advances toward him while he's trying to battle big boy Caprice's united mob. That was Dick Tracy. All right, 1999, after a botched money delivery, a woman has 20 minutes to come up with 100,000 Deutschmarks. I have no idea. Oh, it's Run, Lola, Run. Never seen it. Oh, such a good movie. Okay, 2000, a comedy about a widow's post-traumatic obsession with a soap star. Wow. From, sorry, what year? 2000? 2000. Right in your wheelhouse. I have no idea. Section of the Sea. No, that doesn't have a name. It's Nurse Betty. Nurse Nurse. Betty. Oh, yeah. With, yeah. With the Bridget Jones's Diary Woman. What's her name? Uh, Yeah, I can't think of her name. Renee Zellweger. Zellweger, right. She was also in in Jerry Maguire, too. Yeah. 1979. A young single mother and textile worker agrees to help unionize her mill despite the problems and dangers involved. Uh, Norma Ray. Yes, very good. All right, and then we're going all the way back for the last one to 1974. A recently widowed woman is on the road with her precocious young son, determined to make a new life for herself as a singer. Wow. Was that... Um... A total shot in the dark here, just because I think you've talked about this before. Was that um, the one that became the Alice TV show? Was Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore? Was that what it's called? Very good. Yes. Nice. See, I Where's listen. Score, I, I yes. may not agree with you every yeah. week, but I listen. Yeah. And that, yes, you're right. It did get converted into the uh, the TV show Alice with Linda right. Lavin. Kiss my grits. <laughs> and Flo, of course. And uh, the only one from the movie that was in the TV show was Vic Tabak. He was the only one that carried over. Uh, Mel. 
so, okay. So, good job. Did good on the trivia. Um, it's up to me to pick a movie for next week. And I was thinking, you know, this is a raunchy movie that we did this week, you know. And I mentioned a couple times tonight about how, you know, the, the raunchy movies from the 80s, you know, were better. So, I'm going to take us back. I'm going to take us all the way back to 1980 with one of the greatest raunchy comedies of all time, Caddyshack. Never heard of it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nice. you, and I, you and I once did a full-length feature commentary on that film, so yep. I think we should be able to, to knock out an episode here on Caddyshack from 1980. So I, I honestly thought you were going to, you were going to have us watch team America world police. And then when you mentioned it earlier, I thought, Oh, oh see, he's just queuing it up. So, well, but that's not in my wheelhouse of movies. I well, like team America, true. but it was like 2004, right? It was, it was definitely in the late nineties, if not the yeah. early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking okay. about doing porkies. I thought that's where you were when you were actually, I was going to go, but I thought, nah, we'll do Caddyshack. So, Nice. Okay. So, well, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to give it another watch. It's been a while. I haven't seen it in its entirety in, geez, probably over a year. But oh god, uh, I haven't seen it since we did that uh, the commentary together. So. Nice. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's on TV pretty regularly, but unfortunately, they like to show it on the AMC channel, which cuts out all the nudity and swearing, right. so it makes it about thirty minutes long. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll find I'll find an unabridged full uncensored version that we can uh, that we can watch because I don't think I have this in my personal collection but uh, I remember watching it when I was a kid on TV and they cut out everything they even cut out the chocolate bar going in the pool yeah you know yeah. everything they cut it all out so anyway it'll be interesting so we'll come back and do Caddyshack next week uh, that'll be a lot of fun and I tell you what until then this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World the pop culture podcast for the generations thanks for listening to pop goes your world you can contact chris and derek at popgoesyourworld.com please take a minute and review the podcast on itunes or wherever you download and listen to the show